Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, the Daily Faceoffs NHL analyst and the former NHL goalie himself. He is Mike McKenna. And TNT's Mike McKenna. Turner's. Turner's. Okay, sorry. Mike McKenna. TBS is a part of it as well. That's right. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing on this wonderful Friday afternoon? I'm good. I'm just ready to keep listen to you guys keep arguing. That's fine. You guys just take it. Yeah, well, we do that a lot, Mike, and actually it gets frustrating every once in a while because he just never seems to agree with me. Hey, Mike, I'm curious because I'm a, uh, I'm a girl dad and you're a girl dad. What's it like having a nine-year-old? It's pretty cool. You know, I mean, I, we always say where does time go and all those things. But, you know, as your, as your kids start to get older, my, my nine-year-old daughter, is she's our oldest, and the things that they start to accomplish and start to – you know, seek out as their own enjoyment and their interests is that's the fun part, man. And, you know, it's cool that my kid plays hockey. I don't push that at all. It's what she wants to do. Um, but to be able to just party it up with her for a day and give her a gooey butter cake for her birthday, because that was her request. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. My, uh, my daughter, my one-year-old daughter is starting to find her own interests and it's either my wife's cell phone or our remote controls. <laughs> and the interest is throwing them hard at the hardwood floor. Yeah, well, get used to it because an iPad is next, and that's that's. Why can't they they find the least expensive headphones? It'll be fine. Oh, she's (laughs) already already done that. She's already done that. (laughs) Hey, Mike, I want to play with a tennis ball. (laughs) Yeah, can't you play with a racquetball or something? Well, those are tough on you. Got to wear racquetball glasses if you're going to play racquetball. Though you know, if you get one of those in the eye, you're in trouble. (laughs) Touche. Touche. Mike, I wanted to ask you about the guy that I, I think completely changed this series between the Blues and the Wild, and that's Jordan Bennington. This is a very different conversation that we've had about Benner most of the season. Man, he's been awesome in his last nine starts. And in this series, I know you broke this down with Jeremy Rutherford over on The Athletic about the way that he was able to handle the puck behind the net, and in particular against that grief line where you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to dump it in, and they're going to try to go to work. It seemed like Bennington just completely erased that game plan from the Wild. Yeah, he did, and I was really shocked at how often the Wild continued to put the puck around the boards into Bennington's hands. And when you have a goaltender like Bennington that's as good of a puck handler as he is, that's an instant breakout for your team. And Minnesota never adapted. And I got to tell you, man, that's just dumb hockey. Like, that's, there's no other way for me to say it. And I know it sounds bad, but that was, it couldn't be any dumber. You know, this is something that can be fixed. You can chip pucks to speed. You can put them in the corner. You can be diligent about your placement. Minnesota never adapt. And they just didn't turn their brain on. And what that did was let the Blues go the other direction pretty quick. And to me, like, the only line for the Minnesota Wild that was really able to generate a lot of in-zone pressure was their top line of Hartman, Zuccarello, and Kaprizov. That was their driver. And when the Blues were able to shut that line down, 
Minnesota didn't have a big answer. So I, I think Bennington's puck handling was key, but it wasn't just that. You know, it was the way he let the game come to him. He looked, he, he looked and positioned himself like a confident goaltender that had no doubts about what he was doing. And I didn't see any glaring holes in that way. He passed the eye test in every way. He looked beautiful in blue equipment instead of white, which is in vogue <laughs> these days. Um, but I've been impressed. You know, I, I thought he brought a big jump to the series for the Blues, and, uh, and the team responded around him. Mike, if you don't mind, just give our listeners a perspective from a goaltender's uh, way uh, of the difficult side of the mental game. Because, I mean, Jordan Bennington, Emily Kaplan did a great piece on ESPN just talking with Bennington about what he went through. And you've gone through this. You've been in the NHL and have been sent to the AHL and have been trying to get back to the NHL. Like, how difficult is what Bennington went through this season? Um, it, it's, it can be difficult in a lot of ways, but it can also be somewhat freeing when you come to the realization that this is all out of your control with the coaching staff and the team and all that you can really control is yourself on the ice and how you work and how you approach things. And I don't think Jordan Bennington is in the position he's in now. If he would have just sulked and walked off into the sunset and said, ah, screw it. They don't like me anymore. I don't believe, you know, you can tell that he just kept at it, went to work, worked on his details went back and did whatever was necessary with video and practice to make sure he was in a position to succeed when he got the net again. And you know what? There were lumps throughout the year. We talked in the middle of the season where we're thinking, man, George's just pressing. He doesn't quite look the same. And that's not the case right now. So I, I think it's, it, like I say, it can almost be kind of freeing when you realize that, man, okay, I just, I have a clear cut path of what I need to do. And if I stick to that plan, things are going to be okay. And then when you're rewarded for it, Man, it's a great feeling, and that's a high. Like, you, you get a couple of good games leading up to playoffs, and then you get your chance, and you've won a Stanley Cup previously carrying a team. You know that a Bennington's feeling the flow right now, man. Like, he's like Happy Gilmore on the green doing the full dance. You know, he's got <laughs> Kevin Nealon talking about the carousel going round and round, up and down, all that stuff. Like, it's a good feeling, and that's the headspace you want to be in. I did want to ask you, because we, we've talked about a million different things, Mike, as you could probably imagine, whether it be the 11-7 the and seven configuration that Berube went with, or Scott Perunovic not playing an organized game of hockey in four months and then coming in and having three straight games with an assist, Jordan Bennington changing, changing the series with the way that he was able to handle the puck. I mean, there, there's a million different things that you can point to that changed this series in the Blues' favor. What are a couple maybe that you pinpoint that you say, you know what, Blues don't win this that series if not for this. Oh, that's tough to say. I mean, I you look at the changes that Berube made to the lineup, and I think he did a masterful job. I didn't see much change out of Minnesota other than they went to Talbot in game six. They flipped Goligoski in and out of the lineup on defense. A couple of small changes at forward. I, I would have kept Goligoski in the whole time. For a team that can't score, you leave him on the sidelines. 38, 40 points this year, silly. Um, but I think really just in terms of what Ruby did, working with the defense was the smartest thing. Because as soon as the Blues lost so many defensemen to injury, the thought process is like, are they going to be able to put six defensemen on the ice, much less seven? So Ruby actually doubled down by going with an extra defenseman, knowing that three or four of the players he was putting on the ice didn't have a lot of experience, guys. And what I admire about this is that he let Pareko and Falk take the bulk of the load for the couple games that was necessary games, especially games four and five to me, 
30 minutes, 25 minutes. And then you get Letty back and Bortuzzo back. And, and you can tell that Letty last night especially must have been healthier because they weren't shielding him. He played some penalty kill time, played minutes across the board. So I, I think that what Brube did by bringing in all those defensemen is that he was able to platoon when necessary. And he was able to kind of protect some of the players that didn't have a lot of experience. We're talking Mikola, Rosen, uh, even Santini when he factored in. And that let Scott Barunovich hop over the boards with a pile of energy to quarterback the power play in the place of Tory Krug. So I, I think that's, for me, that's the big takeaway from the series is that the adversity that the Blues faced on the back end was handled incredibly well by the coaching staff. Mike, uh, pending the health of, of Tory Krug, the Blues are going to have an interesting decision when it comes to this first round or this next round against Colorado if they decide to stick with 11 forwards and 7 defensemen. Do you think the Blues can get away with that against the Colorado Avalanche playing one less forward and one extra defenseman? Well, Colorado's such a fast team that I would I would want to see the Blues going with a traditional 12 and 6. And I'm always a fan of 12 and 6 in general because to me that's your optimum that's what the players like best because usually when you have 7D somebody gets left on the sidelines. Well, that wasn't happening with the Blues. So that part's fine, but you look at how going 11 forwards even put extra strain on the centermen and some forwards for the Blues. Ryan O'Reilly played 24 minutes last night. That's a lot of hockey. Uh, Vladdy Tarasenko took some shifts on a couple of different lines, and they were moved around. So there's a stress there. I think if they go to 12 to 6, it'll be better served against Colorado. Um, but I think it all just depends on health. I think last night, if I'm looking at it objectively, was a was a really good look into the health of, let's say, Nick Letty and, and Robert Bortuzzo. You know, where are these guys currently at in their health? Can they handle that bigger load? And if the answer is yes, and especially, I mean, who, we're not even worried about Krug coming back right now. If the answer is yes for Letty, Bortuzzo, I, I think you can go back to 12 to 6 and be okay with it. Um, but I do think they'd feel comfortable with 11 and 7 if they have to do it. If you do that and you go to 12 and 6, McKenna, uh, Mike, and we're talking to Mike McKenna here on 101 ESPN. Between Mikola, Perunovic, and Rosen, you probably have to remove one of those three from the lineup. Who do you think would make the most sense to remove the lineup in game one? Acknowledging, we understand, it, it's totally possible you could see them again at some point in the series. Who do you think you would remove from the, from the lineup in game one from that three? You are not taking Scott Perunovic out of that lineup. What he brings on the power play, um, I can't see him being out. And it's not he wasn't just a power play specialist. I mean, he did play some five-on-five, five, but he was the quarterback, and he's important. And the way he can move the puck is something that's, that's rare in the NHL, and you want to have that weapon in your bag. Um, I, I thought, you know, we've talked about Callie Rosen, and I thought he's done a really good job at moments in this series. Last night probably wasn't his best game. I can remember one one turnover in the neutral or right in the defensive slot that well, he, he lost a battle and it was a great opportunity. Bennington was forced to make a big glove save. And, and there were a couple of those moments with Rosen. Um, I would guess he'd be the one out, especially considering Mikola has played so many minutes for the Blues this year. He would seem like the natural fit. So if somebody came out, I think it would be Rosen. And Mike, this is my final question for you as we continue to look towards the series beginning on Monday. I know the abs are unbelievable. Like the, that team, I, I said this the other day, they basically have three of the best players that you saw in this series. Like Kaprizov, just multiply him by three, and you, you're going <laughs> to see that in this next series. What is the biggest difference in your mind in terms of uh, the difficulty in the matchup that the Avs present compared to what we just saw the Blues go through in Minnesota? How much different is the matchup here? 
Uh, it's Kale McCarr. That's the difference. Okay. Minnesota has Kirill Kaprizov, and you can liken him to Nathan McKinnon or some of the other superstars of Colorado Avalanche up front. But I don't think there's anybody on Minnesota that compared to Kale McCarr. And I don't think there's hardly any defensemen in the world that do. And his ability to move through the neutral zone with the puck at speed and to break ankles in the offensive zone and turn on a dime and get to the net is game-changing. And they're going to have to be aware of him. And I think more than anything, it's the power play. Minnesota's power play was abysmal, like dreadful the whole series. And that's a credit to the Blues. They did a good job killing. But Minnesota didn't have what they needed to. They were they haven't been strong all year on it. It's a totally different animal with the Colorado Avalanche. So the five forwards are going their five players they're gonna throw over the boards on their first power play. You're looking at Landeskog, McKinnon, Granted, and McCarr, Nadri in the mix. Nas and Kadri. I just combined the two and made Nadri. <laughs> we do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's big time. And they're clicking too, just like the Blues power play. So for me, if the Blues can even break even with the special teams in the series against Colorado, I think it gives them a great opportunity because, again, the Blues are really strong on the power play. How does the kill do against a team like the Avalanche? Mike, you're one of the best, buddy. Thank you so much, as always, for taking some time out. I believe you just had a piece uh, that came out on the Daily Faceoff talking about that series win by the Blues over Minnesota. So we urge people uh, to go check that out, to watch the videos that you do with Daily Faceoff. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next Friday, talking a little Blues and Avalanche round two. I can't wait. This is going to be a great series. I hope everybody enjoys what they get for the weekend, getting ready for it. So. Uh, I'm waiting to see those those lawns painted blue again, guys. That was pretty fun a couple of years ago. So we'll see what happens in round two. I'm looking forward to it, Mike. Thanks again, buddy. You got it. Talk to you next week.